everyone. Welcome to our brand new podcast show for the love of books featuring indie and small press authors who bravely navigate the treacherous waters of independent publishing. I will be your host, Emma, and we're going to have a blast as we move forward to opening up America and enjoying life again in all its dimensions. It is my pleasure to present to you author Mark Bellow, who is a retired attorney and an award-winning author of realistic fiction and political legal thrillers. He has authored a total of six books and a seventh book is on its way. Hi, Mark. Hello, Emma. That's, that's my, grand, my granddaughter's name. Oh, yeah, it's making a comeback. <laughs> it, has, it has. It has. Okay, Mark, how has your attorney career influenced your writing? At what point did you decide, all right, this case is going to make a great thriller? Well, um, my, my legal career had a tremendous impact on my writing. Uh, in fact, it, it inspired it. The, I, I went to college and I got a degree in English literature. And uh, most of your listeners know what you can do with a degree from English literature. Uh, you can go to law school. <laughs> or, or, or you can become an author, I guess. Uh, um, that never really occurred to me. Uh, I became a lawyer. And early in my career in the 80s, I handled the case against the Catholic Church. Um, two young uh, kids were molested by a priest. And uh, back then, uh, there wasn't the movie Spotlight. It wasn't a well-known um, phenomenon like it has become. Uh, it was a dirty little secret in the church. And the church's MO was to um, cover these things up, to transfer priests from place to place without telling the community they were transferring them to. And when it was all over, one of the things, for instance, that uh, a lot of attorneys would do back then, if they had a case like this, and there weren't that many, but they would uh, get paid uh, to keep the case confidential, to stay silent. And all that is, is an invitation for more cases. Uh, if you transfer a priest to another community and nobody knows who he is and, and what kind of predator he is, you're inviting more conduct. So my clients and I decided very early in the case that we would not agree to any kind of settlement that in Included confidentiality. Long story short, we resolved the case. We resolved it successfully. We did a nice job for our clients. And the case always bugged me. For years and years and years, I said to myself, I'll write a book about this someday. And when I retired in 2016, I sat down and wrote my first novel, Betrayal of Faith. And it's a fictional account of how the case felt to me. Um, I create a clandestine CIA type organization within the church that covers these things up 
by any means possible, and they're and they'll resort to anything uh, to prevent disclosure. Um, and uh, again, it's 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 a embellished fictional account of an actual case. That um, case in my early career uh, essentially inspired my later life author career. Okay. Uh, during your attorney career, were you on the prosecuting or on the defense side or both at different points in your co legal career? Okay, your, your, um, your listeners should know that when you talk about prosecution and defense, you're talking about criminal cases. Okay. And, and I was not a criminal lawyer, I was a civil lawyer. Okay. So, so in, in civil cases, we talk about plaintiff lawyers or trial lawyers and defense lawyers who represent insurance companies typically or corporations. Okay. I was a plaintiff lawyer. I represented citizens against the government, against insurance companies, against uh, corporations, against people who harmed uh, individual citizens. Like in Betrayal of Faith, the actual case, uh, two young boys and their mother took on the Catholic Church. That's a David versus Goliath type endeavor. Uh, and that's what my book kind of describes. And is that the book, Mark, that you received an award for, Betrayal of Faith? Well, actually, I've received uh, awards for um, now five of my books. Uh, the sixth one, uh, actually, all six of my books have won an award. So there you are. <laughs> okay. Has John Grisham inspired you in any shape or form? One more time. Has has author John Grisham inspired you in oh. any shape or form? Well, I, I would say I would say that um, the answer to that is yes, but I I wouldn't give him exclusive um, tribute. Uh, I love the legal thriller genre. Okay. I've read I've read a lot of uh, authors of legal thrillers, uh, Grissom, um, Scott Turow, um, Buglosi, mm -hmm. um, Lisa Scottowin, um, you know, you name it, uh, Steve Martini. Um, there's a lot of great uh, legal thriller authors. And yes, they've they've inspired me. Uh, the difference between them and me uh, a little bit, if I can uh, push back a little bit on in inspiration, is I've been inspired more by uh, real events um, than I have by other authors. Um, as I told you, Betrayal of Faith was a bucket list. Uh, I've got to write a book about this someday kind of experience. I thought I was a one and done author. I didn't think I was somebody that could write novels about subjects that I wasn't directly involved in. And uh, 
then the presidential election happened in America. And um, I was concerned that a uh, power-hungry bigot would become president of the United States. And I wrote a book, my second novel called Betrayal of Justice, which uh, tells the story of a country in turmoil after the election of a narcissistic uh, bigoted president um, and the false arrest of a young Muslim woman. Um, the president makes it his um, goal to make sure this woman, because it supports his anti-Muslim agenda, he wants to make sure this woman is convicted. And Zachary Blake, uh, the hero of all my books, ends up taking on not only the criminal justice system in Michigan, but the president of the United States. Um, I've, had a, I've had some people tell me or accuse me of doing a hit job on Donald Trump by writing this book. And, and my response to that is, I wrote the book before he became president. So if you see a comparison between Donald Trump and Ronald John, the president in my book, the fault of that comparison is Donald Trump's, not mine. He chose to imitate my guy, not the other way around. Yes. My, guy was for, my guy was first. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Okay, I wrote, let's the, I, wrote the book, I wrote the book before he was president. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about your newest book in the Zachary Blake legal series, Supreme Betrayal. The right. main characters are Haley Larson and Oliver Wilkinson. How did you come up with these characters? Well, uh, the book, if it isn't obvious, um, was inspired by the Kavanaugh hearings. Mm -hmm. um, it's about a, a Supreme Court nominee who has a sexual assault allegation in his past. Now, the difference between Brett Kavanaugh and the evil character in my book, and he's probably the most evil character I've ever written, including this president I just described. Yes. <laughs> but, but Oliver Wilkinson is probably the most evil character I've written so far. Um, Kavanaugh was accused of a sexual assault. Uh, the sexual assault against him was not proven. He completed the nomination process and became a Supreme Court justice. Um, the character in my book is uh, his own evil guy. He's guilty. Uh, I make it very clear he's guilty uh, from the first chapter on. It is not a book about Brett Kavanaugh. It's a book about truth to power and a brave young woman who takes on the president of the United States, the U.S. Congress, and a candidate. The political process of, of nominating a candidate uh, using Zachary Blake as her attorney and having him by her side she takes on the system and tries to prevent him from becoming a Supreme Court justice. And that's what betrayal, uh, Supreme betrayal is about.
And does Haley get her revenge or would that be a spoiler? If that you would tell a, us. That would, that would be a spoiler. Read the book. Okay. <laughs> okay. You tell that this, you tell the story from alternate alternating points of view. Can you explain that to us, to, to our listeners? Well, yes. I, 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 I tend to write a lot of dialogue in my novels. Uh, so from character to character, uh, as each one is thinking or doing or talking, uh, I'm, I'm presenting that person's point of view. And the book, uh, and all my books for that matter, go back and forth from good to evil or, and everywhere in between. Um, but they do tend to convey um, many different characters and many different character points of view. Okay. So is there a lot of you in Zachary Blake? You touched on that previously, but can you kind of expand on that or? I think we, I think we talked off air. I told you that Zachary Blake's a much better lawyer than I was. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. So he uh, was a better. He's, or he's, he's got a lot of um, confidence. Not, not in the first book, by the way, He's kind of a rags to riches story. He uh, loses his practice. He's, his career is in the gutter. He's uh, teetering on alcoholism. And he gets this call from the mother of these two kids. And it turns his career around and his life around. Um, as, the, as the books progress, he becomes quite the justice crusader, uh, quite a force in um, making sure justice is uh, preserved. And he becomes uh, quite a dynamic uh, lawyer. Um, is there some of me in him? Sure there is. Is there some of other lawyers who I've encountered on my journey? Yes. Yes. Uh, he's a compilation of a lot of lawyers who I know and respect. Okay. Tell us also about your realistic fiction. Well, as I said, uh, as I told you about Betrayal of Justice, um, all of my books were inspired by real events. So Betrayal of Justice, as I indicated, was inspired by the um, 2016 presidential election. Uh, Betrayal in Blue is a, it, it's not a sequel to Betrayal of Justice. Uh, Betrayal in Blue is my third book. Um, it's about white supremacy. Um, it's a follow-up to Betrayal of Justice. Um, and it was, it, it was based on what was happening uh, after Trump got elected and the rise of white supremacy in this country and their anti-Black, anti-Muslim, anti-Jewish rhetoric that seemed to thrive during the Trump administration. Uh, the fourth book is Betrayal in Black. It is a cop on Black traffic stop shooting. And obviously it was inspired by uh, some of the um, police shootings of innocent Black men in America. 
the case that inspired uh, this particular book, the one that it's based on is uh, Orlando Castile in Minnesota. It was written before George Floyd, um, but it, it offers uh, not only um, the mechanics of a, of, um, a traffic stop shooting uh, and a cop who is a racist but doesn't realize it. And there again, we get these conflicts of characters and uh, personality traits that are uh, that we go back and forth from and to in the novel from the heroine, the widow of the uh, uh, victim and the very traumatized, conflicted cop who doesn't um, who wonders how this could have happened to him. Uh, he's not, he's a tragic uh, bad guy. He's not necessarily um, somebody who I do a hit job on or, or I um, make evil. He really is a conflicted uh, person who didn't realize his racist tendencies. Um, the book also offers some solutions uh, to the problems. And, and by the way, uh, the, the um, defund the police movement and, and the calls for police reform, it's very interesting to me that, that some of the suggestions I make in my book for reforms are reforms that are now being considered as part of the a package of reforms that uh, Congress and, and state and local governments are considering when they uh, discuss these issues. So I, I think that's kind of cool. Um, the book following Betrayal in Black, the fifth book is Betrayal High. It's about, it's about a high school shooting, mass shooting, and very much like Betrayal in Black, it discusses solutions to the problem, gun control, uh, laws that protect gun owners and gun manufacturers, some of which should not be on the books. We can talk about that if you'd like. Um, um, and again, the book offers uh, a good versus evil, David versus Goliath, um, and uh, solutions to the problem type of, of um, commentary on uh, the issues of school shootings or mass shootings. Um, and then the sixth book, uh, as we discussed, is Supreme Betrayal about the uh, woman who tries to hold uh, her sexual predator, uh, now candidate for Supreme Court, uh, accountable for his sexual assault on her 20 years earlier. Oh, I also wrote a Holocaust era novella called Lador Vador, which in Hebrew means from generation to generation. And it's a, it's a prequel. It's about Zachary Blake at age 13, uh, the night before his bar mitzvah. And he has a conversation with his grand grandfather, Max Lewin, who tells him the story of his escape from Auschwitz. So I, I try to take 
real life events, history, uh, to your point about realistic fiction, I try to take, I try to, to write fictional accounts of actual events. And that's where, where the term realistic fiction comes from. That's very cool. What have you learned about yourself from your writing? What have you found out about yourself? <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, that I could do it. Uh, as I told you, um, betrayal of faith was something I always said to myself, I'll do. I didn't know whether I could write a book. I didn't know whether I could write a compelling book or a good book. Um, and I, uh, most people who read Betrayal of Faith and, and my other novels enjoy my work. Um, so flash forward to 2016, I write Betrayal of Faith. I think I'm all through. I've written my novel, my bucket list novel. I'm all done. I don't know or think that I can write a novel about something that I wasn't personally involved in. Uh, and all of a sudden, the 2016 election comes along. And I say to myself, oh, my God, this would make a great novel. Um, and Betrayal of Justice was born. Once I wrote that, it became clear to me that I uh, could uh, write a um, full-length, um, compelling novel. Uh, so I learned <laughs> essentially that I could do that, and I could do it pretty well. I agree. Would you do it all over again, your attorney career followed by your writing? Um, I would definitely do my attorney career uh, over again. Uh, I enjoyed practicing law. I enjoyed helping people um, achieve uh, good results and, and for lack of a better way to say it, justice, uh, some measure of justice in, in their cases. Um, there are things I would have done differently um, but, but I, I'm very satisfied with, with what I did as a lawyer. Uh, the, the, um, the writing career, I would love people to find my novels and read my novels and um, learn a little bit from them. Uh, I think people uh, today are, are um, unwary victims of injustice or future victims of injustice and don't understand how unjust the system can be because politics get in the way. Um, phrases like tort reform, um, malpractice reform, um, immunity, caps on damages. There are a lot of uh, political solutions that in my mind violate the Seventh Amendment to the Constitution, which uh, provides um, for civil justice without political interference. A lot of these 
statutory political solutions to a false crisis that people are suing each other for very little reason and getting lots and lots of money, which is baloney. Mm -hmm. um, uh, people are not aware that their own representatives are passing laws that prevent their access to court. So I, in, in my small way, uh, with my practice, I tried to fight that kind of, a, of um, legislation, both in my practice and in my political activism and in my charitable uh, activism. But now with these novels, I can expose these issues uh, to a lot more people than I could in my small little local practice. So that's pretty satisfying. What I have to do though, is continue efforts like this to get more people to read and learn about, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, and not to be crude, but how they're being screwed out there. And, yep. not, in a, and not in a good way. <laughs> yes, I agree. Russian author Anton Chekhov was a medical doctor and he said, medicine is my wife, writing is my lover. What would you say about, or how would you compare your two, two careers to what? Your well, attorney I, career and your writing. In other well, words, I, I would, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I, I would say that uh, uh, so far, um, I must say I, I enjoy writing. Um, practicing law was my passion. Uh, writing is fun. I'm, I'm not... I'm not there yet where I would say I'm, I have a passion for writing. Uh, I have a passion for justice. I have a passion for um, fairness. Um, the law, the law as a career allowed me to achieve that for clients. Um, writing has become, has been a, what I would call an expensive hobby. <laughs> um, I spend more than I make, uh, but I but I get the opportunity to expose, like I said earlier, more people to uh, the the uh, inadequacies, inequalities, and unfairness of the justice system. Um, it, you know, again, look at look at uh, at uh, how the wealthy seems to skirt justice and how the middle class or the poor seem to always have um, these kinds of George Floyd types incidents happen to them. Um, so uh, I, I hope that my work will get recognized uh, and people will learn more about uh, these injustices. So where can people see you this summer in person or virtually? Where can people find you and your books? Well, I'm not sure about uh, seeing me because COVID has kind of uh, prevented that. And, and there, there are some um, loosenings, uh, but I'm not sure what's available uh, to an author in terms of, of personal appearances. I will, um, uh, there's a, a local company called Pages Pages Promotions in Michigan 
um, I think you can probably Google Pages Promotions and come up with that. There's a June festival where a bunch of independent authors are getting together and doing uh, some fun things and readings and what have you. And I'll be participating in that. Um, not all the authors in that organization are local, but it is it, it does originate Michigan. Um, that's about the only uh, thing I have, uh, the only event that I have planned. I, there's a couple of podcasts coming up um, that I'm going to appear on. And you can, you can go to my website uh, at markambello.com and you will, uh, over, over the summer, uh, will announce, or my Facebook page for that matter. Uh, go to, you can go to Mark Ambello Books, I think it is, at Facebook. Okay. Uh, but we'll announce our, our, our appearances as we go along. Okay, Mark. Would you like to read to us? I would be happy to read to you. Excellent. Um, I cut I cut a piece of my book up uh, just to read for you. So I've got it on the screen. Yeah, I, I don't. If it looks like I've memorized my book, I haven't. I'm just <laughs> I, I'm I'm reading it off the screen. Neither I, have I. I. I will I will set it up for you. Um, okay. Uh, Haley, uh, by the way, uh, one more thing about my books. Four of my novels, not intentionally. It just so happens four of my novels feature female clients, uh, very uh, passionate and, and uh, strong uh, women who take on, uh, in the case of Arya Khan, a young Muslim woman takes on the president of the United States. Um, uh, Sarah Hayes, the widow in Betrayal in Black, takes on uh, a city and a police department. Um, in uh, Supreme Betrayal, uh, well, and in, in, in the first novel, um, Jennifer Tracy takes on the Catholic Church. Uh, and in this novel, Supreme Betrayal, Haley Larson is a teenager who was uh, as I indicated, sexually assaulted at a party by a rich entitled law student. And the book then fast forwards 20 years. She's now a rape counselor. She's married with two kids, but she still is haunted by this incident. And on this particular day, the reading I'm about to read, she's just watched a news report on television. And the report features the law student who is now a judge who assaulted her so many years ago. What's the news? Judge Oliver Wilkinson is the president's choice for an open seat on the United States Supreme Court. And Haley is beside herself. And that's the setup for the, for the reading. Like a terrible addictive habit, here he was again. This time, he was a candidate to become a justice on the highest court in the land. His vote was to be the important swing vote for a divided court. His sense of entitlement, narcissistic attitude, and political ideology was repugnant to her. On top of all of this, he was a criminal. 
Haley was beside herself. What should I do? What can I do after all these years? Who would believe me? Would I be wasting my time? Causing myself unnecessary pain and aggravation? How can such a man be qualified to serve on the United States Supreme Court? Has he done this to anyone else? Honey, are you okay? Joel snapped her out of her thoughts. She didn't even realize he was holding her. Joel, oh my God, how can they even consider this guy? Did they get my letter? Do they know what kind of man he is? What kind of predator he is? How can they do this? She looked into his eyes, pleading for words of comfort, understanding, and perhaps wisdom. Haley, sweetheart, maybe they don't know. The committees must have gotten my letter. You never heard from either committee, or from the press for that matter. These committees sort through a lot of bull. Maybe the letters got buried in bureaucracy. And the press, what's their excuse? Who knows, Haley? They get thousands of tips, leads and stories every day. The same type of bureaucracy issues in a different setting. It's not some deep right-wing conspiracy. Maybe it just got lost or ignored or deep sick somewhere. Maybe. Haley drifted off in thought. Haley? Joel squeezed her hand, bringing her back. Oh, Joel, how many times must I rehash this? I can't keep going back. Who says you have to? Wilkinson certainly has the legal and judicial credentials to be a Supreme Court justice. Maybe we just leave well enough alone and mind our own business. Joel didn't really mean what he said. He was brilliantly leading her to the only choice she had. She needed to expose this guy for the predator he was. His strategy worked almost immediately. And what happens when a rape victim needs an abortion? What happens when the court looks at issues of government funding for victims programs? What happens to a wide variety of social issues a guy like Wilkinson couldn't give two shits about? David won't have any chance to beat Goliath for the next 40 years. I understand that, sweetheart. But those are issues of political and legal ideology. Do you oppose him because he's a criminal or because he's an extreme right-wing Republican? Both. What's wrong with that? Nothing. But if you're going to do something, whatever that might be, I want you to do it for the right reasons. Would you go after Wilkinson if he was on your side of the issues? And there it was. Leave it to Joel to wrap this up into a neat little one-sentence package. Would I? She paused, staring into outer space again. Joel squeezed her hand. Damn right I would, Haley growled. He's a criminal. He should be in prison. He never should have been granted a law license, let alone a seat on the circuit or appellate court. Supreme Court? Oliver Wilkinson? Joel? That's a bridge too far. So what do you propose to do? Haley was in agony. She crinkled her nose, tightly closed her eyes, and dropped her head into her hands. I don't have a clue. What do you propose, my knight in shining armor? Joel was developing a germ of an idea. Are you ready to go public with this? Your idea is to go public? 
What about the kids? How would the kids feel as adults in 20 or 30 years? And this guy still a Supreme Court justice. How would they feel knowing their mother could have done something to prevent it and did nothing? Boy, you don't pull any punches. What happened to my patient, loving, and supportive knight? He's right here, Haley. He's watched this guy occupy an important space in your head for years. This guy has affected your relationships, career choices, moods, even how you sleep and dream. Your loving knight in shining armor says it's time to fight back. What do you propose? You remember Zachary Blake, the lawyer? The one with all the large verdicts? That's the one. The ego is well-deserved because he's the best in the city. Okay, what about him? Zach sends me patients from time to time. We work together on serious accident cases. I guess I knew that. What does that have to do with me and Wilkinson? Zach's a powerful guy in Michigan politics. He's a large donor to the Democratic Party in Michigan and nationally. He's well-connected and very politically active. He cannot be happy with the Wilkinson appointment. So... I think we should make an appointment to see him. Tell him the whole story. Let him investigate and expose this guy. No one knows how to play the media better than Zachary Blake. He's the master. If there are legal issues, or if you're called to testify before the bar or the Senate, Zach can provide legal advice and representation. I don't know, Joel. Other than my original complaint, my letters, the only person I've ever talked to about this is you. What original complaint? You never mentioned that before. When this first happened, I filed a police report and told the West Bloomfield police the whole story. What happened? Oliver's parents intervened. They were wealthy, powerful people, very politically connected. That's probably how Oliver became a judge in the first place. West Bloomfield PD conducted a very short investigation, and I was told it was my word against his. That's good to know. That means there's an original record that may come in handy. If we decide to go forward, make sure J Zach knows about that report and the investigation. Oh, Joel, what about our careers? This could be a huge media and political spectacle. Press could descend on our front lawn. What about the kids, the school, the neighbors? What about our privacy? Haley squinted in anguish and buried her face in her hands. All good points. Again, we don't have to do this, but I'm tired of seeing this space Oliver Wilkinson continues to occupy in your brain. It's your choice and yours alone. I won't force you to do anything you don't want to do, but I say go for it. Yes, there'll be short-term pain, but long-term gain, if you're successful, will be well worth it. I can handle it. I'm sure the kids can too, and I know Zach will make this as painless as possible. He really is the master. The more important question is, can you handle it? Are you up for this, Haley? Again, Haley Schultz paused deep in thought. Let's do it, she finally said with determination. Call Zach, let's expose this bastard, and let the chips fall where they may. That's my girl. I'm on it, sweetheart. Joel and Haley Schultz stood and embraced. Joel hugged the love of his life as if he would never let go. Haley felt so comfortable in his embrace. When they finally separated, they gazed into each other's eyes, perhaps second-guessing their decision to move forward. Joel took Haley's hand and led her upstairs to the master bedroom. Their lives were about to change forever. Or better? 
or for worse. Nice. Thank you, Mark. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Before we do our parting shots, I would like to thank our sponsors of the show, Doc Shavant and Digital Quill Services for Writers. Mark, can you give us your parting shots? My parting shot. Uh, go to markambello.com. Uh, try at least one of my novels. Try them in order, I would suggest. Uh, people tell me that the uh, books can be read as independent novels. Um, you know, as, as an author of, of a series, my preference would be, would be to have people read them in order. But they, they, they can be read as standalone books. Uh, the novella, Lador Vador, From Generation to Generation, is available free at my website. All you have to do is subscribe, or you can get it for free on Amazon. Um, uh, and I appreciate the uh, your willingness to have me on and uh, the people's support. Thank hopefully, you. Hopefully they'll enjoy. And my parting shots are buy indie, read indie, and write indie. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. Thank you, Mark. I'll give it, I'll give it my best. <laughs>